Welcome to the October 7th, 2021 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. First on today's podcast, we'll review a study providing new insights on megakaryocyte diversity and function, including a unique subpopulation that may act as immune cells. Next, we'll review research that intriguingly reveals a putative role for the PD-1 gene in cutaneous T-cell lymphoma. We'll conclude with a report demonstrating a lack of cross-reaction between the antibodies that cause vaccine-induced thrombocytopenia and thrombosis and the COVID-19 spike protein. The first research article is Single-Cell Analysis of Ploidy and Transcriptome Reveals Functional and Spatial Divergency in Murine Megakaryopoiesis by Xu Sun of the Chinese Academy of Sciences in Beijing and co-authors. In this paper, Sun and colleagues describe an unprecedented level of megakaryocyte diversity revealed by the use of single-cell RNA sequencing, three-dimensional immunofluorescence imaging, and functional assays. They identified megakaryocyte populations with unique functions, including platelet generation, maintenance of the hematopoietic stem cell niche, and inflammatory responses. This includes a unique subset of megakaryocytes that had a monocyte-like transcriptional signature and responded to pathogen infection. As background, it's clear that the most prominent function of megakaryocytes is platelet production and release. However, there is accumulating evidence that these large and relatively rare myeloid cells have roles far beyond platelet function. Megakaryocytes can regulate the function of hematopoietic stem cells through the secretion of specific cytokines, such as CXCL4 and TGF-beta. In addition, they also express inflammatory and immunological surface markers, including members of the toll-like receptor family and CD40L which means they may have a role in pathogen surveillance and antigen presentation. Megakaryocytes also have antiviral functions due to upregulation of interferon-induced transmembrane protein 3. Are those diverse functions all carried out by a single population of megakaryocytes or by distinct subpopulations of these cells? Addressing questions like that has been challenging. That's because megakaryocytes are rare and fragile cells that are hard to isolate from bone marrow. However, Sun and co-investigators developed a method to efficiently isolate highly purified megakaryocytes from mice that spanned each ploidy stage. They used that same strategy to collect human megakaryocytes from four healthy volunteers. By integrating single-cell analysis of ploidy and transcriptome, the researchers were able to identify distinct megakaryocyte subpopulations that varied not only in function, but also in their location within the bone marrow microenvironment. Among these was a specialized megakaryocyte that they say may act as a new type of immune cell. Altogether, they identified four distinct clusters of megakaryocytes in mouse and human bone marrow. The first cluster of cells highly expressed genes related to DNA replication and cell cycle progression. They refer to these either as active cycling megakaryocytes or polyploidization megakaryocytes. The second cluster included mostly high-ploidy cells that highly expressed cytokines that regulate hematopoietic stem cells. Based on that, the researchers refer to these cells as HSC niche megakaryocytes. 
The third cluster was primarily low ploidy cells that had expression signatures enriched for genes related to inflammatory response and myeloid leukocyte activation. They called these cells inflammatory response-associated megakaryocytes. Cells in the fourth cluster, which expressed genes involved in platelet production and hemostasis, are referred to as platelet-generating megakaryocytes. Based on their research, Sun and co-investigators believe that the first cluster of cells, the polyploidization megakaryocytes, may be the starting point of a developmental trajectory. In other words, this first cluster may include cells with the potential to develop into megakaryocytes with specialized functions involving the hematopoietic stem cell niche, inflammatory response, and platelet generation. The researchers also presented intriguing findings with regard to the inflammatory response-associated megakaryocytes. Transcriptome analysis revealed that they were closely related to monocytes. These megakaryocytes were unique in their expression of PU.1 and IRF8, as well as the known targets of these transcription factors that mediate phagocytosis, pathogen killing, and antigen presentation. The inflammatory response-associated megakaryocytes were relatively uncommon, representing only 5% of total megakaryocytes in bone marrow. In a commentary on this study, which is also available in blood, William Venchenker and Hanna Raslova of Gustave Roussy in Villejeux, France, said that the immune megakaryocytes were the most intriguing subset of cells that the researchers identified. Immune megakaryocytes have been previously identified in the lung. It had been assumed that this immune phenotype was related to the lung environment, since bone marrow megakaryocytes introduced into the lung could acquire immune markers, Venchenker and Raslova write in their commentary. Another key finding is that these different cell clusters had a unique spatial organization within the bone marrow. Nearly all the megakaryocytes in contact with the hematopoietic stem cells were HSC niche megakaryocytes. In addition, the investigators found that platelet-generating megakaryocytes were in direct contact with blood vessels. Essentially, the spatial distribution of these clusters appears to be consistent with their function. That provides further evidence that there are distinct megakaryocyte subpopulations involved in HSC maintenance in one case and platelet generation in the other. Taken together, the investigations by Sun and colleagues provide a first-ever transcriptomic map of megakaryocyte heterogeneity in vivo. The findings link specific megakaryocyte subpopulations to functions, including platelet generation, maintenance of the hematopoietic stem cell niche, and the inflammatory response. These are important findings that will open up new avenues of research into the molecular, spatial, and functional diversity of megakaryocytes. Next, let's turn to a research article entitled Integrated Genomic Analyses of Cutaneous T-Cell Lymphomas Reveal the Molecular Basis for Disease Heterogeneity by Junhee Park of Northwestern University in Chicago and colleagues. The experiments described in this paper advance our understanding of the genetics of cutaneous T-cell lymphomas, or CTCLs, and provide novel insights into pathways that drive CTCL disease phenotypes. Of note, PD-1 mutations were found to drive aggressive disease behavior, and PD-1 deletions predicted significantly worse survival in patients with CTCL. Cutaneous T-cell lymphoma is a heterogeneous group of lymphomas of skin-homing or skin-resident T-cells. The classic examples are mycosis fungoides, which accounts for about 60% of CTCLs, 
Encesary syndrome, which accounts for about 5%. Mycosis fungoides is restricted to specific areas of the skin and draining lymph nodes, but these often evolve over time. Cesare syndrome is defined by erythroderma, generalized lymphadenopathy, and neoplastic T-cells in the skin, lymph nodes, and peripheral blood. The clinical course of both mycosis fungoides and Cesare syndrome varies substantially across disease stages and even between patients with the same disease stage. In stage 4 disease, survival can vary from less than 6 months to more than 20 years. In recent years, genome sequencing has provided foundational insights into the biology of these cutaneous T-cell lymphoma subtypes. However, the cause of CTCL heterogeneity remains unclear. Genomic analyses should be able to explain at least part of this. However, many investigations to date have had important limitations, such as method of sequencing. Most studies have been based on whole exome sequencing. This modality is limited in its ability to resolve somatic copy number variations, which make up more than 90% of cancer-promoting mutations in CTCL. By contrast, the new study by Park and colleagues incorporates whole genome sequencing, along with whole exome sequencing and RNA sequencing, which provided a broader view of disease drivers at the molecular level. In the current issue of blood, the investigators describe their findings, which are based in part on sequencing of malignant cells isolated from 94 patients with CTCL and a previously published cohort of DNA sequencing data from 203 patients. They also performed some mouse experiments to further evaluate the role of PD-1. In all, investigators identified 86 putative driver genes, including 19 not previously described in the context of CTCL and two never before reported in any cancer. A number of mutations functioned in T-cell receptor-dependent pathways. Among those mutations were inhibitors of T-cell receptor signaling, along with regulators of T-cell apoptosis, cytokine signaling, and T-cell differentiation. Many genetic drivers and other molecular features were common across disease states. For example, UV damage signatures were enriched in all of the samples irrespective of diagnosis. However, there were some exceptions. Notably, some genes such as TP53, NFKB2, ARID1A, and MGMT were significantly more often deleted in leukemic CTCL as compared to early-stage mycosis fungoides limited to the skin. The researchers' findings on PD-1 are particularly compelling. In both human cells and a mouse model, they found that PD-1 mutations drove aggressive disease behavior. In PD-1 wild-type cutaneous T-cell lymphoma samples, features of T-cell exhaustion were observed. T-cell exhaustion is a dysfunctional state marked by failure to form memory T-cells, reduced production of cytokines, and weakened potential for cell proliferation. PD-1 appears to be the driving force behind the heterogeneity in exhaustion profiles, according to the authors. By RNA-seq, PD-1 was the most significantly upregulated gene in non-proliferative samples. They also found that PD-1 deletions reversed the exhaustion phenotype, increasing proliferation of lymphoma cells, and predicted significantly poorer survival. Among patients with stage 4 Cesare syndrome, median survival was short of 3 years for those with PD-1-deleted CTCLs, as compared to 7 years for those who had PD-1 wild-type lymphoma cells. This new research from Park and colleagues expands the list of putative driver genes in cutaneous T-cell lymphoma 
and suggests an exciting role for PD-1, according to a commentary by Margarita Sanchez-Beto of Instituto Investigación Sanitaria Puerta de Hierro, Segovia de Arana in Madrid, Spain. The analyses point to upregulation of PD-1 as being responsible for the T-cell exhaustion characteristics seen in many CTCL cases, Sanchez-Beto writes in the commentary. Moreover, the loss of PD-1 seems to be sufficient to reverse the phenotype, leading to increased cell proliferation and worse clinical outcome. Taken together, results described in the research article by Park and co-authors suggest that PD-1 has potential clinical relevance in CTCL. However, more research is needed. Results of a large, prospective, multi-institutional trial, if conducted, could validate the clinical utility of PD-1 mutations as a clinically actionable biomarker and predictor of CTCL disease progression and aggressiveness. The final article is entitled, Antiplatelet Factor IV Antibodies Causing VITT Do Not Cross-React with SARS-CoV-2 Spike Protein by Andreas Greiniger of University Medicine Greifswald in Germany and colleagues. COVID-19 is caused by SARS-CoV-2, a single-stranded RNA virus that encodes a number of non-structural, accessory, and structural proteins. Among these is the spike glycoprotein, which is responsible for recognizing receptors on the host cell membrane and for mediating host cell membrane fusion. Two adenoviral-based COVID-19 vaccines, namely the AstraZeneca and Janssen vaccines, have been associated with a rare complication referred to as vaccine-induced immune thrombotic thrombosis, or VITT. VITT is characterized by thromboses at unusual sites, coupled with moderate to severe thrombocytopenia. It is typically observed about 5 to 30 days after vaccination. The underlying cause of VITT is known to be the activation of platelets by antiplatelet factor IV, or PF4, antibodies. Platelet factor IV is a cationic peptide that is released from alpha granules of activated platelets. It acts both as a chemokine and also binds to heparin. The heparin, PF4 complex, is the antigen in heparin-induced thrombocytopenia an idiosyncratic autoimmune reaction. However, patients with VITT did not receive any heparin to explain the subsequent occurrence of thrombosis and thrombocytopenia. Although COVID-19 and VITT have quite different clinical presentations, the overall clinical picture includes some notable overlaps. Like VITT, COVID-19 is characterized by thromboembolic complications, sometimes in cerebral veins or other unusual locations. Both VITT and COVID-19 are characterized by IgG-mediated platelet activation through FC-gamma receptor 2A receptors. In addition, strong reactions to PF4 heparin elizas are usually seen with VITT patient sera, and sometimes also seen in COVID-19 sera. These similarities raise the question of whether vaccine-induced immune response against spike protein could result in antibodies that cross-react with epitopes that spike protein shares with PF4. To test that, Greiniger and colleagues used in silico prediction tools and 3D modeling techniques to compare immunogenic epitopes of SARS-CoV-2 spike protein and PF4. They did find at least one similar epitope between spike protein and PF4, which spanned 13 amino acids. However, they also tested for cross-reactivity of anti-PF4 antibodies from VITT patients to recombinant SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. 
and in affinity-purified anti-PF4 antibodies obtained from 14 patients, they saw no cross-reactivity. Essentially, no affinity-purified antibodies bound to any of the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein constructs. They also looked for VITT-like anti-PF4 antibodies in COVID-19 patients and evaluated whether they were associated with thrombosis. They used sera from 222 patients with PCR-confirmed COVID-19 disease from five European centers. Of those samples, 19 out of 222, or 8.6%, also had anti-PF4 antibodies. However, only four of those 19 samples with anti-PF4 antibodies demonstrated platelet activation in the presence of PF4. The PF4-dependent platelet activation was weak to moderate across all four cases, and none of these patients had thrombotic complications. One final important point is that Greinacher and co-investigators looked for P4-dependent platelet-activating antibodies, specifically in 10 COVID-19 patients with thrombosis, but no such antibodies were detected. Taken together, these findings clearly demonstrate that VITT is its own immunologically distinct syndrome that is not related to COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 protective immunity, according to Gao R. Pauli of Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. The study does not clarify why some patients develop strong anti-PF4 antibody responses after receiving adenoviral-based COVID-19 vaccines, Arapali wrote in a commentary on the research article that also appears in Blood. Moreover, the authors did not examine the specificity of anti-PF4 antibodies to other SARS-CoV-2 structural proteins. Even so, Arapali said, the findings represent an important advance in the understanding of VITT and COVID-19 that is relevant to both clinicians and researchers. The take-home message for clinicians is that VITT is a disease entity distinct from COVID-19 and that the anti-PF4 antibodies associated with it don't seem to be a byproduct of SARS-CoV-2 protective immunity, either in the context of COVID-19 vaccination or infection. The results are also reassuring in that anti-PF4 antibodies were not common in patients with COVID-19, and even when they do occur, they generally were at low levels and do not appear to increase thrombotic risk. What researchers should take away from the study is that the specificities of anti-SARS-CoV-2 and anti-PF4 antibodies are non-overlapping. Therefore, the antigenic culprit in VITT is probably not the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. Now, new protein candidates need to be evaluated. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.